Delivery just came in, ladies and gentlemen. Shout out to friend of 5e, Miss Tiana Bartoletta, dropping me a signed copy of her memoir, Survival Advance. Can't wait to read it, and good luck in the US Olympic trials. And it was Public Enemy's Chuck D. Bring the noise. FM Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor and this is What's Good. Welcome back ladies and gentlemen, hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Uh, a little bit more news as well, uh, dropping today, the same day as uh, this episode of What's Good will be uh, the first volume, proper volume of Chilling with Charlie on 5 EPN Radio. So that's dropping at 7pm today as this episode drops on a Thursday. Obviously, if you're listening days afterwards, then it's already there. Go peep 5EPN Radio. It's in the full show notes. Uh, The link for the whole show itself. 92 Till with Michaela back is just uh, uh, dropping as well. Uh, That's on a weekly thing. And Chilling with Charlie whenever I fucking feel like it. Because I've already got two po- I'm already hosting two podcasts, right? This one's purely for fun for me. Uh, I want to take my time with it and, uh, you know, no rush. Uh, don't rush myself. And, you know, that's, that's, I want to be inconsistent for once. Allow me. Allow me. But apart from that, it's been a solid week. Can't complain. You're, uh, well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into a bit of uh, football in a bit. But, yeah, just uh, go off uh, watching Wales smash Turkey 2-0. Um, up the Wales. Um so yeah, that was kind of, that was a real good game, real sweaty game. Uh, but yeah, man, that's uh, all, all happy days there. And uh, yeah, man, I'm feeling good. Can't complain. The weather's been decent. It's actually going to rain for the next few days or next week or so. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> as uh, Mo Gilligan put it on Twitter uh, today, <laughs> free the free trial has uh, is is about to expire. So yeah, get that sun while you can. Well, <laughs> it's not so. So it's going to be gone by the time you listen to this. But yeah. I uh, hope, hope you had fun while it lasted. But anyway, let's get into the show itself. Got uh, one of everything, life, sports, film and TV, music, one of each. And uh, yeah, without further ado, before, ask you before we begin, email to the IG, Discord, Discord link, all that, all, all that in the full show notes. Shout out to the uh, writers that make this show possible and hit the links of the articles, which is also going to be in the full show notes, and give them a read for yourself. And without further ado, let the beep drop. And let's get into the show. In a week where Brisbane, Australia is tapped to host the 2032 Summer Olympics, uh, shout out to Ben, who I did tell about this, and he said Brisbane was, uh, there's nothing happen- there's nothing going on there, and I'm like, that's probably why, just so they can just say Br- Brisbane's happening in some fashion. Uh, this is a fascinating one. National Geographic announced a fifth ocean, the Southern Ocean, which is kind of weird, right? Why? Why need no? Does National Geographic have that kind of power to just say, "Here lies a fish, o- a, a fifth ocean." We have now decreed a fifth ocean. Um, so I, I don't know if they're allowed. Are they allowed to do that? I'm not really, sure. <laughs> I'm 
I'm not, I'm not exactly sure uh, whether they're uh, whether they're allowed, but they've done it. They announced the fifth ocean. It's the Southern Ocean, and uh, yeah, our lives have changed because of it. Uh, Euro 2020 kicks off, and that's obviously been going on. Uh, it has been four years since the Grenfell Tower fire, and still no rests, no nothing, no justice at all. And lastly, Benjamin Netanyahu is ousted by the Israeli coalition, which may seem like a big thing, but in the grand scheme of things, it really isn't, since uh, Israeli has already, in the space of, I think, what, 48 hours, as I record, um, have already started uh, bombing Gaza again. So, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, just, put, I'll just uh, you know, direct your attention to a couple of episodes ago, which is aptly titled Free Palestine. So, uh, yeah, go for that. And I also had the G7 and stuff like that. A lot actually happened this week, and uh, it's one of those weeks where I'm like, I wish I had five more in a week, uh, week where's, but I stick to my rules. Um, so, yeah, let's begin with, uh, what, what are we going to begin with? Let's begin with sport, because I found this so fascinating. So, I had a, I had a theory. Uh, a while, well, not a while back, but like last year during you know pandemic times, stuff like that, right? And um, I, I, I just had this theory that um, you know, uh, I, I, I feel, I feel like when it comes to football, uh, you know, the the players, especially non-white players, you know, they they have to say, you know, we want the fans back, right, you know, you have to talk about this, and it's the same in the NBA, right, where I'm just like, you know, they, they have to say it, but I feel like if, if you gave, if you gave all of them a survey, and you, and you know, it's all anonymous, right, it doesn't, you can't, uh, apart from just like, you know, if you're white or non-white, right, that's the only parameters I put this survey, this imaginary survey to, right, uh, in terms of parameters and uh, categorization, right? I would ask them one simple question, right? And, and again, and again, they, you know, they, they, if they wanna, if they, if they wanna be, you know, it's anonymous. So if they wanna be honest or dishonest about it, whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat. I can't, I can't, I can't shit on their decisions, right? On this, on the answer to this question. But I was, I, I just had a, I just have a feeling, you know, with all the, you know, the racist shit that happens. Uh, when it comes to football games, especially, uh, you know, especially when it's like, you know, when you go into certain places in Europe, you know what I'm saying, um, and stuff like that. The question I want, a question I would just be gagging, I'm gagging to ask, you know, non-white football players, right, is, did you really want fans back? Like, do you do you really want fans back like that? You know what I mean? Like, with all the bad shit that comes with it do you really like fans that much, right, and, you know, it's just a theory, right, it was a hypothesis on my part, I feel like there'd be a lot more, uh, no's than, uh, than they would, uh, than they would, they would put their, I don't think they put their names on it, which is why I'd say it would be anonymous if, if it happened, but I feel like if it was anonymous, they would, a couple of them would say, Nah, fuck the fans. Yeah, I mean, not not even that. Not even fuck the fans, but just like, no, I don't want fans there because they they you know say more bad shit to me than good shit. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like that's that's definitely a, a a potential little bit of research. I feel like anybody, if anyone wants to go for it, go for it, please, please. I encourage any anybody who has the who has the uh, survey power to you know uh, ask Prem, Syria, La Liga, uh, um. Bundesliga, whatever, man, whatever league, pick your league, um, and just ask that question. But 
funny enough, this is not exactly, this is not exactly, you know, proving a potential theory here. This is not bumping my hypothesis into a theory, you know, uh, realm, right? But it's pretty close, but it's pretty close, it's pretty, it's pretty close. So uh, I found this on The Economist, it's a, it's a, it's a graphic, it's mainly about this graphic um, that they've put at the beginning. Uh, please go peep this for yourself, just just, just have a look. Um, it's called Non-White Footballers Play Better When Stadiums Were Empty During the Pandemic. Hey, psh, psh, I, I don't know man, it, it's, it's, it's the data, the data says what the data says. Um, so let's just jump right in. Let me just jump right in with a little bit of uh, the background on it, right? So I think this is about Italian football. So because uh, there's a lot of Italian stuff coming through. So um, this is basically just Serie A th- uh, uh, based, I think. Yes, yeah, footballers' performances in Serie A uh, with and without fans, 2019 to 2020, right? And they have a you know good index of uh, you know percentiles, uh, of average performance score. Uh, red is white players, blue is non, uh, non-white players, and they have a, you know, an average, and the biggest percentile, you know what I mean, uh, and, yeah, so, just, just have a look for yourself, and give, and, uh, uh, and, you know, and then listen to me read, so, to the people who made the monkey noises, shame on you, shame on you, posted Mario Balotelli, then a striker for Brescia, I think that's how you say Brescia, uh, on Instagram in late 2019, he was referring to the fan, two fans of Hellas Verona, a rifle football club, who hurled racist abuse at him that exceeded even the typical taunts from overheated quote-unquote ultras. At one point during the match, play was suspended as a distraught Mr. Balotelli punted the ball at Jiren Heckler's and threatened to walk off the pitch. Mr. Balotelli did manage to score a goal that day, uh, though Brescia still lost 2-1. However, recent research by Fabrizio Colella uh, an economics, uh, e- economics, <laughs> economics. Uh, I thought you said I thought you said economist. That's why. It's <laughs> fuck, e- economics graduate student at the University of Lausanne suggests that the striker's uh, strong performance in the face of racist abuse was more of an exception, more an exception than a rule. By forcing sports teams to play games without fans, the COVID-19 pandemic created a compelling natural experiment that has unleashed a flurry of academic research. A flurry, you say? Oh, there's more. Please put me on to those studies. Many studies, including one published last year in The Economist. There you go, there's another one. Uh, there's another link there if you want to go, Pete. Have sought to measure how much of home teams' advantage comes from the presence of supporters. Mr. Colella, however, made use of new d- of the new data to examine a question with broader social implications. All footballers get heckled, but not all of them suffer the same types of insults, at least in European stadiums. Fans single out non-white players for racially tinged attacks. Do such barbs sting more than the standard battery of non-racial abuse suffered by white players? The pandemic allowed Mr. Colella to find out. For each player in Serie A, the top tier of Italian football, he compiled individual performance scores in every match during the past two years ranging from 0 to 10, which were generated by an algorithm used for fantasy sports competitions. Brackets, these numbers take into account contribution in all aspects of the game, not just offensive statistics like goals or assists. Um, brackets. Next, he classified over 500 players as either white or non-white using the Fitzpatrick scale for human skin colour which is commonly used in dermatology research. Finally, he compared how each player fared 
<laughs> nice rhyme. He compared how each player fared on average in matches played in front of fans against their performances in empty stadiums. Although fans may ex- uh, affect re- results in many ways, only racist chants could plausibly have a different impact on white players than on non-white ones. The results were striking. On average, white players scored slightly worse without fans than they did in packed stadiums. In contrast, non-white footballers' performances improved to a statistically significant degree when fans were absent, by an average of 1.2%. Mr. Colella built a mathematical model that tried to account for these differences using other variables, such as players' nationalities and teams' overall quality. However, none of these controls eliminated the impact of skin colour. The effect was greater for the darkest-skinned players than for brown or olive-skinned ones. The quadrennial UEFA tournament for European national teams begins tomorrow. Obviously, it has already begun. And will be the most prestigious international sporting competition, team, team sporting competition to occur since the start of the pandemic. Any hopes that the long hiatus of in-person events might have led to better behaviour from sport-starved fans have been dashed. Just this week, Romelu Lukaku, a striker for the Belgian national team, said that, quote, racism in football right now is at an all-time high, unquote. Perhaps the only thing more dispiriting than probable return of racist abuse to top-flight international football is the notion that it might actually work. And lardy fucking da. I, I, I just can't, I, I couldn't, I, I, I was so gassed when I found this. I was so fucking gassed. I was just like, oh. <gasps> It exists. Someone did it. So I did it. Obviously, like I said, it's not it's not quite on the um, quite on my hypothesis, but it's damn it's adjacent. You know, at minimum, it's adjacent. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm just so happy in you know in some way from a research perspective. I am happy because I really am fascinated by this by this particular uh, uh, this particular subtopic of race in sports. I feel like. You know, there's a lot of there's a you know you could you could probably name you know some you know performances right where you see that player get you know you know really really railed on right and you don't and you know you give the uh, well some people give the benefit of the doubt that the fans are just saying you suck you suck you suck right uh, you know the stuff that you know is barbs but not exactly you know you're talking about you know someone's dead kid or you know something something like that or or in this case racial abuse right you you try and give the benefit of a doubt but for me i kind of just assume that they're all hurling racist abuse because why why wouldn't i why 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 wouldn't i prove me wrong honestly prove me fucking wrong that like you, you you if you Here's a question, right? I want to throw this out to any football fan that has been to a game, okay? Or, or, or actually, let's let's, let's, let's let's narrow it down a bit. People that go to games regularly, you don't have to have a season ticket, but let's say you go to uh, five games a year, okay? Or five games a season, right? Let's just say I think that's a I think that's a 
you know, a decent, you know, obviously not a season ticket holder, but, you know, you, you want to go when you can, right? I think five is good, a good a good uh, place of to go, right? So let's say you're a football fan, right? And if you are, ask me this question, right? If you're a football fan and you've been, and you go to your local club's games or your favourite club's games, you know, at least, at least five times every season, right? How many of those times have you heard racial abuse? I I genuinely want to know, right? I, I just if you want to, if you want to lie to me, lie to me. But I I genuinely want to know how much racial abuse and and this, and this would be even better if you're white, by the way, right? If you're if you're non-white, oh, uh, you know, obviously this worthy opinion, but um, I feel like non-white people don't actively think about it. They don't. They really don't. They either they at maximum they participate in it. And at minimum, they just block it out of their head. They don't even remember it as part of their experience of watching football. I genuinely believe that, because why? Why would you? Why would you want to? Why would you want to let that bring you down? You know what I mean? Well, well it's, it's I I don't know that dude. So what, what does it matter? I don't know. It's just some random dude. You know what I mean? Just, why would I? Why, why would I stick my neck in? You know what I mean? I I genuinely feel that's how most most uh, white football fans think. Right, prove me wrong, please, please tell me if I'm wrong. I would genuinely love to be wrong, um, but at minimum, I feel like there's always some racial abuse held. I mean, shit, like people, people were booing um, Belgium uh, uh, when they did the kneel. I forget who they played. They beat them two 0 I know, they, I know that much, but I forgot who they played. The first game of the Euros, and uh, you know, Romelu, was it three 0 And uh, Romelu uh, Lukaku scored two goals, and just. You don't hear it, but I guarantee you there was some there was some shit just thrown at him. You know, what I mean, in some fashion, some racial shit. And my mate, my my big point I wanted to make, but I kind of got sidetracked, was um, you know, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of plays you can think of um that you know can use as fuel and you know doesn't let it get to them. Obviously, for someone like Balotelli, on that occasion in the article, that clearly got to him, right? And the fact that um, I think in that case, I think I remember that case happening actually, where like I think I saw a video where you know he was going to leave, but he but you know his player his, his teammates, you know a lot of them that were white, um, were like going oh no no please please you know don't don't stop the game don't stop the game like if you were really in solidarity with with Balotelli, excuse me Balotelli, you'd be you'd be on his side regardless. But the fact you made him and again I don't know. I think I remember this correctly, but please correct me if I'm wrong on this, but they kind of just encouraged him to stay on, and I don't really, I'm not really for that. Like, you, you should you should be on his side on that front, and, uh, you know, it's just, it just doesn't make sense to me, but, um, yeah. I'm 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 glad this I'm glad this research exists. Um, I hope there is more uh, research on this, and uh, yeah, man, because I feel I generally feel like this that's something that will. I think affects a lot of people's decisions on on certain, uh, you know. So I th- I feel like if this research comes through at a, a decent rate and is actually talked about properly, um, I generally think I don't know for better or worse, but I generally think it will change how uh, some football teams actually try and get some players. Like they they maybe they deliberately at the, at the worst they maybe they deliberately. Don't get this black player because you know he's a he's an enigma. Da, 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 da. You know what I mean? They 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 you know and they know fans will just get to him or whatever like something like that. Some people see that Balotelli bit and they'll be just like, oh, he's weak. 
I, I feel like a lot of you know coaches or whatever whoever you know scouts these people or has the decision making power on this front would see that Balotelli thing and just go like no he's weak he's weak weak mentality I don't really think that would happen I don't really think that's how some people think but you know this is all hypothetical on my front this is just how I feel um, I may be wrong on all of it and if so it, so so be it but um, I would generally love to see some research on this and uh, hope we get some more of it We now hop on to film and TV, and specifically TV, a specific TV channel that has recently come through uh, on the airwaves, and uh, it goes by the name of GB News. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I I find this fascinating and scary at the same time. Um, honestly, uh, I, I I there's plenty of articles I could have picked. You know, what I mean, um, a, a, a load of. Um, a lot of publications actually did a review on like the first night of GB News, uh, which is a couple of nights ago. I think like the Guardian gave it a one, uh, and the Telegraph gave it four stars. So you know, it, it, it's interesting. And I got this cycle from Novara Media, which um, you know, it's a very. I I assume because I haven't read this, uh, but well, I've read a bit, but you know, I, I like to keep it fresh for myself. Um, you know. They, 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 I feel like they'd be pretty negative on this front. <laughs> um, just, 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 a, just a hunch. Um, so, yeah, it, it, bias. It, you can, you can really gauge um, the leanings of a particular publication if you just ask them uh, or just see their coverage on something like GB News. Like you, ge- you generally understand where they, where they, where they lean, where their, um, you know. Uh, where their morals lie, etc., etc., and how they talk about GB news. Um, so let me just get into the cycle, and let me, uh, and then then I'll get into what I think about it, because um, you know I've read a lot about it. I've seen clips here and there on Twitter. It's actually been trending on Twitter every night since. Um, so make of that what you will. So let's get to this. This is by Aaron Bastani. Uh, it's called "What's the Point of the GB of GB News?" Uh, via Navarro Media. Let's go. Let's get into it. Last night, after months of speculation and remote media appearances from his chairman, Andrew Neil, from his villa on the Côte d'Azur, GB News finally launched. Its arrival marks the first major addition to Britain's TV news news landscape since the BBC's News 24 started broadcasting in 1997. In terms of resources and ambition, however, it is more comparable to Sky News, a channel that started more than three decades ago, and which, incidentally, also saw Neil play a prominent role as lieutenant to Rupert Murdoch. Yet unlike Sky and the BBC, GB News will shun rolling coverage in favour of what Neil has described as quote-unquote appointment to view TV, that is, quote, individual programmes, news-based programmes built around very strong presenters, unquote. Based on a template lifted from the US, GB News is expected to resemble America's MSNBC rather than anything similar to a British audience. That means a new uh, a preference for opinion and debate over actual news. In 2013, uh, in 2013 Pew Research found that 80, 85% of MSNBC's content was commentary, while just 15% was reporting. For Neil, today repre- uh, represents the achievement of a decades, decades-long ambition to front the launch of a major news broadcaster. 
Besides his previous involvement with in Sky News, which came after he left his role as an editor of the Sunday Times, the Scot briefly worked in New York on an upstart project you might have heard about. Its name? Fox News. While MSNBC and Fox share a similar relationship to original news gathering, or rather the lack of it, they are political opposites. While imitating MSNBC's format, ed- uh, em- while imitating MSNBC's format, editorially, GB News is, is expected to be more like the latter. If you want to understand the objectives of GB News and why it exists in the first place, America's most infamous news channel is the best place to start. After all, the need for a new UK outlet on the populist right is questionable. Britain boasts a famously right-wing press, far more so than the US. In addition to the print and TV staples, there's Talk Radio and Times Radio, both owned by Rupert Murdoch, and LBC, whose chairman once applied for planning permission to build a £200 million apartment in central London. The country's most read political magazine? The Spectator. Its chair, Andrew Neil. Its former editor, Boris Johnson. At first glance, it is hard to see the point of GB News. Conservatives have Britain's media covered. And yet, GB News will add something new and politically expedient uh, and politically expedient to the right in both form and content. While the channel will immediately fit within an already powerful right-wing media ecology, from Guido Fawkes fast-tracking stories to front pages to right-wing pundits squatting on question time, <laughs> brackets, Nigel Farage holds the record for appearances. <sighs> I want to take a pause right a minute because... Um, I need I need to find an article on like how just a like just depressing question time is. There was a time I actually used to watch it regularly. Not not that long, you know what I mean? I maybe for like half a year, 6 months I regularly watch question time. Uh you know, in the, like, maybe like the final years of Dimbleby, uh final year of Dimbleby. I think that's kind of where I started where I was watching it. And you know, on and off here and there in the in years before. And I remember, like, you know, one I always remember was when I was in Leeds and I got into my hotel room and, uh, you know, it was 11 p.m., question time, boom, put on the TV. And I was like, Ken Loach, uh, the filmmaker, and like a few other, you know, polit- polit- politics people, et cetera, et cetera, right? And it's always the people like Ken Loach and Akala and, you know, it's always like the person just like sitting on the, sitting on like the end on either side. It's always the person on the end. I don't know why it's always that. Um, they're always just, fucking speaks so many facts and just like absolutely rinses the politicians and yet it just falls on deaf ears a lot of the time um to to the to the panel anyway and it's just so depressing the fact that nigel farage literally holds the records for appearances just just says it all to me but anyway continuing on it's just a side note a little little mini rant on question time because jesus christ i can't watch it anymore um it's mission it's, it's literally just there to be to to piss you off honestly um, its mission will be simple. Even when you aren't watching GB News, you'll be watching GB News. The point of Fox News isn't just that its audience includes millions of Americans who watch it every day. It's also that other outlets like MSNBC and CNN feel compelled to give its unhinged talking points attention by virtue of it being a major network. News journalism involves a measure of gatekeeping, but when a rival outlet carries a story, no matter how absurd it is, this vital mechanism can often short-circuit. Fox News is unique, imposing as a news organisation while essentially being a Republican spin machine. Indeed, its founding uh, CEO Roger Ailes was a party operative who advised three Republican presidents while also working on Donald Trump's election campaign in 2016. The likes of MSNBC and CNN 
would generally ignore marginal stories from outlets such as Breitbart or Infowars, but Fox takes these stories and legitimizes them so that other outlets feel they have to follow suit. In doing so, Fox frequently opens a Pandora's box of far-right shittery. Mainstreaming stories, uh, such quote-unquote stories, excuse me, such as, uh, um, such stories, excuse me, as Barack Obama disrespectfully saluting the Marine, that was great, while holding, excuse me, uh, while holding a coffee cup, uh, Hillary's, Hillary Clinton's terminal cough, and the cover-up in Benghazi. Uh, Brian has long had outlets and influencers uh, comparable to the US alt-right sites from Guido Fawkes to Leave.eu to Nigel Farage. Coverage of Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of the Labour Party offered a glimpse into how these platforms can work in the same way as their US cousins. But until now, they have lacked a broadcast presence to mainstream these stories, views and perspectives as quickly as Fox can in the US. That, in short, is the political role of GB News. The arrival of GB News means, uh, means Britain has now wholly entered a new political moment, where the que- uh, quest for facts and truth is replaced by journalism defined by both sides-ism, opinion and partisan spin, and where phone-in shows elevate feelings and opinion over fostering an informed debate. There is no other side of the argument to climate change, the social care crisis or flat wages for more than a decade. Whether it's pay, the NHS, the housing crisis or rising bills, the point of GB News isn't to cover these stories of vital public interest, uh, but to manufacture an ever greater deluge of pseudo-events to ensure we don't actually talk about news that matters. It is a combination of every negative impulse in Britain over the last 40 years, Replete? Is that a word? Replete? Replete with voices whose politics have been a dead end for working people for more than a decade. Steve Banner's catchphrase to quote-unquote flood the zone with shit is now the modus operandi for conservative media in the 21st century. GB News will lead the march, permitting an ever more rapid manufacture of cycles uh, cycles of conservative outrage. The channel's uh, commitment to news... Uh, can be gleaned by simply looking at those involved. One of its journalists was UKIP's head of media for three years. She even worked for Cambridge Analytica for, be- for before becoming an MEP for the Brexit party. <laughs> also, I-, I said it, fuck, for the exit party. Damn. Trip over sometimes, you know. I was just like jarred by the Cambridge Analytica bit and I just carried on reading and didn't even clock. Then there's Andrew Doyle, the mind behind Titania? Titania McGrath? Titania, Titania, oh, that's interesting, though. Titania McGrath, a, a satirical quitter, t- quitter, Twitter account mocking liberal identity politics. Oh, I bet that's fun. So, satire is fine, and each person's taste is their business, but journalistic value of such work uh, for a news outlet is hard to grasp. Indeed, the last time Doyle worked with a journalist in front of a camera was Jonathan Pye, <laughs> a fictional news presenter. Uh, the boundary between creating news and a parody of it appears to have disintegrated. Others involved include Michelle Dubery, one-time winner of The Apprentice and candidate for the exit party, got it, there you go, uh, in the 2019 election. Dan Wooten, formerly at The Sun and Talk Radio, and Tom Harwood, who cut his teeth at Guido Fawkes. It also appears that Neil himself will present a nightly news program on the channel, including segments called (laughs) Woke Watch. Oh, fucking hell, that's grim. Woke Watch and Media Watch. This is less news and more about uh, a more a media Ouroboros. Uh, rather than being better informed on a topic of interest, you'll be watching a man uh, watch the watch the news 
Uh, think Nigel Farage meets loose women, saying that I should the I shouldn't give the channel's pro- uh, programs any ideas. With GB News, the plan is very simple. You'll be watching them and hearing their talking points, even if you don't know it. That's because the plan isn't news, but political communications. Finding points of weakness in their ideological opponents, just as Fox News' CEO uh, Ailes was a former Republican operative, it's fitting that Neil's only job outside of journalism was, you guessed it, working for the Conservative Party. It's crystal clear what GB News intends to be. Fox News on Thames. This is glorious, and it's and it's kind of just how I see it. Um, to be completely honest with you, I just I just feel like it's just a lot. It's just going to be a spew of bullshit. And like I said, um, you know, it's been it's been trending. Uh, you know, every night around the time like eight to uh, eight to midnight around the area, um, just because people just are either you know praising it for being different or just shitting on it because you know it looks like it's uh it looks like it's inside a PS five, um. And you know, I I I find I, I it's funny. I find this I find that side of it. You know the 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 collective either shitting or you know praising of it. Um, I find it so entertaining when it comes to America because I'm not in America. <laughs> But now that I'm seeing it here, literally days after it, uh, literally as soon as it uh, starts airing shit and starts, you know, immediately spewing garbage and, um, you know, people like Where's Ofcom and brands have, you know, immediately uh, killed off any ads, uh, any of their ads uh, broadcasting on GB News and, you know, creating all this news for them. Like any publicity is good publicity to these guys. It's real, right? The fact that it's here now in in such a way that is so just so apparent to, and close to something as stupid as Fox News um, is just jarring to me. And it kind of scares me, to be completely honest with you. I don't care for GB News at all, but the fact that it's constantly trending uh, or, or trending at least on a nightly basis in some way... I don't know what the viewing figures are, and um, obviously, and uh, you know, I saw one. I saw one article saying, uh, you know, it's got it got more, more viewing figures first night than Sky or BBC News. I'm like, well, yeah, fucking sure. Who, who's regularly watching Sky News? Who's regularly watching BBC News 24? Let's be real. I watch Channel 4 News. That's it. And even on that, I've only started watching it regularly again after like a year of not doing so. You know what I mean? It's just nobody watches the news regularly. <laughs> Like it's not it's not appointment viewing. It's not EastEnders, right? It's not it's not the same thing. It's not watching uh uh it's not watching uh you know Strictly Come Dancing. It's different. It's not watching the latest BBC One drama, right? It's different. It's the fucking news. It's there twenty four hours. If you want to peep it, go peep it. You know, sometimes I ho- I hopped on Sky News one time a while back uh, just to see uh what the vaccine uh, stuff was talking about like what they were talking about because i think it was like the first couple of days of vaccine here and you know they were like outside of hospitals talking to uh talking to people um yeah you know i watched that for like 10 minutes right cool it's there to be there you know but that's 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 the difference when it comes to something like gb news it's it's like it's like a talk show instead it's like graham norton or Jonathan Ross, but it's people chatting about news shit, and that's what's, I guess, different, and not innovative, but scary nonetheless, Uh, the fact that they literally, they they don't even need viewership, 
as long as they're trending on Twitter, and as long as they're getting their shit watched on, you know, social media, as long as they're viral, then shit, they're, they're succeeding. Honestly, their viewer, their viewership might just dip um, completely, and it'll be the exact same, uh, or maybe less, maybe more, uh, than, uh, you know, Sky News, or BBC News 24, or Bloomberg, or CNN, because those shit, uh, you know, are available here as well, you know, or Al Jazeera, whatever, right? Um... I don't know if the CG, uh, this China one, is there either. Oh, you know, Russia Today. Is, it, is it R- RT Russia Today? I forget what it's called. Yeah, RT. You know what I mean? Whatever, whatever the viewing figures are, uh, you know, f- a month from now, they're going to go viral constantly. BBC News 24 ain't. Because it's BBC News 24, who gives a fuck? So, yeah. It, it's, a, it's honestly a bit scary to think about. Um, but hopefully... Hopefully, people can just be smart enough to starve them of attention. Obviously, publications like The Sun will just be validated and, you know, uh, and they'll just, you know, use each other to be, you know, ginned up. And once they get the money for it, they'll put Piers Morgan on on a prime time slot and then people will be going to see Piers Morgan, hate watching him. Because once again, why do you, why would, why did you lot watch Good Morning Britain, who wakes up to see Piers Morgan as their first face in the morning? Do you hate? How do you hate yourself that much? So yeah, if people can do that, then shit, they can easily watch GB News. into a life topic and this is one of those um this is one of those segments or one of those stories where like i was not exactly aware of it i mean i was aware of you know deep fakes right i was aware of it and i was also aware of deep fake porn but i was not really aware of just the implications of such technology um uh, especially in just like in in this uh, in this case um, so this is a fascinating article I found. Uh, it's by Maggie McDonald. It's called "The Double Exploitation of Deepfake Porn," and um, yeah, man, it's just um, it's a scary thing. It's a scary thought, um, and it could easily just be so uh, just the manipulation of it. The easy manipulation of it is just um, crazy to think about. So let's just jump right into the cycle. Um, over the past three years, celebrities have been appearing across social media in improbable scenarios. You may have recently caught a grinning Tom uh, Tom Cruise. I nearly said uh, <laughs> I nearly said uh, Com Cruise, the uh, electronic <laughs> eyes. Com Cruise. Um, anyway, Tom Cruise doing magic tricks with a coin, or Nicolas Cage appearing as Lois Lane in Man of Steel. Most of us now recognise these clips as deepfakes. Startingly, startingly. I actually saw one of uh, uh, J- uh, Jason Statham dancing uh, the other day. I was creepy. Um, Startlingly, startlingly, yeah, there you go. Realistic videos uh, created using artificial intelligence. In 2017, they began circulating on message boards like Reddit. As altered videos from anonymous users, the term is a porten, por, portmanteau, portmanteau, portmanteau of uh, deep learning. That's a that's a fascinating uh, word. Let me let me let me search out that. That's how I say it. Portmanteau. portmanteau. A, tra- uh, a word blending the sounds of combining 
the meanings of two others. For example, motel or brunch. Interesting. Oh, that's cool. Okay, portmanteau. 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 Yeah, that's great. I'll, I'm going to use that. I'm trying to find out my vocabulary. Anyway, uh, term is the portmanteau of deep learning. Uh, the art process used to train an algorithm to doctor a scene and fake uh, deep fakes uh, once required working knowledge of AI-enabled technology, but today anyone can make their own using free software uh, like Face, FakeApp or FaceSwap. All it takes is some sample footage and a large data set of photos. Uh, one reason celebrities are targeted is easy availability of high-quality facial images, and the app can convincingly swap out one person's face for another's. To date, mainstream reporting on deepfakes has emphasised their political danger. Alphys from the Washington Post to the Guardian have warned that the videos ca- could, by eroding trust in media, create chaos. Excuse me. For Forbes, deepfakes threaten to be a widely destructive and uh, political and social force. Yet, in over three years of the practice, we have yet to see a single credible disinformation effort linked to the technology. Political deepfakes, cir- political deepfakes certainly exist. In one video, an AI-generated Barack Obama calls Donald Trump a total and complete dipshit. In Belgium, a political party circulated a deepfake of Trump mocking the country's participation in the Paris Climate Agreement. Here in Canada, one user... Uh, this is via the Boris, by the way. I don't think I said the publication, but anyway. Uh, one user uh, took footage of a Trump speech and replaced the former president's face with that of an Ontario Premier Doug Ford. Uh, while these uh, examples caused a stir, none presented a genuine national security risk. This is not to say that these fears are completely unfounded. The breakneck speed at which deepfakes are improving, often in disturbing new directions, including cloning voices, make it possible that they will be successfully weaponized politically. For the moment, however, they are not being used as feared. In warning about a crisis that doesn't yet exist, headlines are erasing the damage way uh, the damaging way the technology is actually being deployed, almost entirely to manufacture pornography. In 2019, uh, a 2019 study by cybersecurity company Deep Trace Labs found that 96% of deepfakes involve sexually explicit scenes. There are thousands of clips in which the faces of celebrities like Gal Gadot, Taylor Swift, Scarlett Johansson, Emma Watson, or even se- <coughs> uh, excuse me, or even 17-year-old TikTok star Charlie D'Amelio, uh, D'Amelio, I think so you say, uh, have been superimposed onto the bodies of adult film stars. Porn deepfakes also feature the faces of non-famous individuals, ex-wives, ex-girlfriends, high school crushes. This February, MIT Technology Review reported on a UK woman named Helen Mort, who had been warned that she, or rather her face, lifted from various social media accounts, had surfaced onto a porn site, pasted onto violent sex acts. Such deepfakes, it should be said, are often not aiming to fool viewers. For one thing, the technique frequently results in sloppy overlays with blurry edges edges, and pixelated mouths. But realism isn't the point. According to media scholar Marlena Popova, porn deepfakes are almost always labelled fabrications, with some creators taking pride in them as a kind of fan fiction or media remix. Ugh. Yeah, uh, fan fiction. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting way of spinning it. Uh, like other forms of revenge porn, ethical issues of consent and obje- objectification make it clear that the footage need not be real uh, to inflict real harm. Uh, quote from Mort, it really makes you feel powerless like you're being put in your place. 
Activists and legal scholars widely condemn the practice as a form of media-based sexual abuse. Andrea Werhun, a sex, uh, uh, sex worker whose years in the industry led to the 2018 memoir Modern Whore, describes deepfakes to me as quote-unquote misogyny in action. Platforms have taken steps to moderate the videos with many sites, including Pornhub, banning deepfakes outright. Still, porn deepfakes are abundant due to the ease of sharing and re-uploading. Piracy is already a standard practice on porn aggregator sites, and deepfakes benefit from the resulting complacency around porn content theft. Deepfakes don't just sow, sow humiliation and trauma among the unsuspecting women whose faces are appropriated. They also harm the sex workers who are digitally decapitated by the process. For Zara Stardust, a fellow at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard Law School, that's a long school name, um, deepfakes reflect broad, a broader problem of sex workers losing control over their own images. Deepfakes, she says, are created to humiliate a person, but, quote, the bodies they steal also belong to someone. They belong to a human being, unquote. Sex workers produce these scenes for profit, and being compensated is how they survive. Whether it's filmed under contract or created DIY style, like a cam show, uh, like a cam show, porn that is altered and shared without con- the consent of the performers is an affront materially as well as morally. Deepfakes can be difficult to defeat from the de- from a defam- uh, defamation angle, so perhaps a more effective remedy would be to take porn seriously as a part of the digital economy and crack down on deepfaking as copyright infringement. Like musicians, filmmakers, and writers, porn, performance ha- porn performers have rights to their creative output. Unlike me- other media industries, however, porn is the uh, porn is the target of a stigma that makes it difficult to fight for better treatment. Quote: Our culture has a fundamental disdain for anyone who makes sex public and explicit. Says Wohun. As a result. Few are willing to stand up for the intellectual property of sex workers. And as long as the porn industry is the subject of moral panic instead of measured discussion, says John Paul Stadler, um, the, a media scholar from uh, uh, North Carolina State University, quote, there will be a kind of willful forgetting around the predominant use of deepfakes, unquote. But this crisis is bigger than porn. If porn performers can have their content brazenly stolen and modified, anyone's images are fair game. What the porn industry now faces could be an indicator of what can be what we can all expect from platforms in the coming years. Uh, sex workers have long served as canaries for in the online coal mine, from being at the forefront of technologies like payment processes for online transactions to confronting censors- censorship like deplatforming and shadow banning, uh, which is the act of social media companies blocking a user on their content or their content without informing them. Uh, internet porn is a, predi- a predictor of emerging internet norms. Interestingly, performers I spoke to have no quarrel with the deepfake in itself, only with the unethical application and stealing source material. Quote, It's fine to see the emergence of a new type of porn production, says Kate Sinclair, a Winnipeg-based performer and producer with Cine Sinclair. Uh, quote, but the foundation uh, remains the theft uh, of our content, unquote. If the components were fairly sourced, deepfakes could even offer an affordable template for wish fulfillment. Custom videos, seeing yourself in a porn scene, or bringing unconventional desires to life are all within reach. But as long as piracy runs rampant in the industry and sharing non-consensual images is normalized outside of it, 
Responsible alternatives to deepfakes are unlikely to thrive. Deepfakes are a new and powerful genre of digital media. They represent a creative practice with huge potential for satire and fantasy building as well as the threat of disinformation. But continuing to frame the technology entirely by what we anticipate, political interference, uh, detracts from our ability to engage with the reality of how deepfakes are being harnessed to harm women who are harassed by anonymous creators with no regard for consent and to harm porn workers who are made even more precarious uh, without adequate legal protections. Emphasising that deepfakes could target powerful men uh, or promote political disinformation while disregarding what harm they currently cause is not only a failure to protect some of society's most marginalised workers, Excuse me. it prophesizes the way all our images will be treated by platforms in the near future as fair for the taking. <sighs> yeah, um... Is I think the I think the you know the the statistic given of uh, where 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 is it right here? yeah ninety six percent of deepfakes involve sexually explicit scenes right that's a big number that's a really big number and um, you know the fact that is that bad and that big um, really sets a precedent because uh, you know y- you see the ones on Twitter now and again you know the Tom, Tom Cruise one I, like I said I saw a Jason Statham one the other day it was just like him well quote unquote him dancing right um, a little bit of salsa right and that's and that's you know whatever right we we can all clock that's um, or hopefully we can all clock that's uh, bullshit right and you know I'm not exactly too concerned about the uh, about the political side of it because even with that said uh when it comes to that kind of stuff um you know news organizations will then obviously pick that kind of thing up and uh you know unless they're all fucking uh duped then fuck like then 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 it's a, then it's a real thing right but you know this ain't mission impossible for the one before rogue nation this isn't rogue nation right um, the start of that has like a, uh, and also Fallout actually, it also has like, you know, the deep fake shit going on, right? And it's, you know, very, it's very convincing. It's obviously part of the plot. Um, if you watch it, great films, by the way, go people. Um, but yeah, um, I do find the porn side of it very fascinating. And the older I get, the more empathetical I get to, you know, sex workers and stuff like that. Um, uh, you know, the celebrity side of it is something that, you know, a lot of people can, uh, think about easily, and, uh, you know, if I was ever a celebrity, I don't want my face on that kind of garbage, right, I'll be just like, yeah, please, yeah, wherever you found this, please, like, can you, like, delete it, like, that's just, that's just not my steez, right, just having my face on something, and especially, uh, when it comes to data, like, the face app shit, like, the fake app, whatever it's called, and, you know, all those kind of apps, I wouldn't want my face on there, like, that's just straight up data mining, on that front, like, fuck that noise, I see people do it, I see people use it, and I, you know, you guys can have fun with that, that's not, that's not my steez, you know, I mean, my data's been mined enough, I've already got, like, t- I got two messages yes- uh, to- yesterday and today, just some random fucking messages, didn't even say anything, it just had a link, like, wh- what the fuck, y- 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 you serious, like, you're not even, you're not even convincing me, you're just, you're, it was literally, like, random words and a link, like, why, like, straight to spam, bro, like, straight to spam, um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm very data conscious, um, uh, I don't want my data where I, if I can't control it, I get very anxious, 
And I'm just like, why? If that, if it came to that of like people using my face for shit like that, you just put you just put my face on a database that I didn't even consent to. Like there has to be some legal precedent for that. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, fuck that noise. But even with that said, when it comes to porn and uh, sex workers, you know they're getting they're getting the real brunt of this here. And uh, I feel like it's really hard for people um, to empathize because I don't know. I think we see sex workers as just inherently uh, lower class in some way, lower in some way, in some sort of system, whatever you want to class it. Um, and it, people just see them as lesser, even though a lot, you know, majority of us watch porn, right? <laughs> you're all sucio. Stop it. Stop it. Stop, stop, stop. You're, you're, you're all sucio, okay? You're all watching some porn now and again, right? Don't worry about it. It's, it's calm. It's calm, okay? Um, so yeah, uh, uh, it's, uh, it, it really, it really, ju- it, this is all really judged, um, if, if people are going to take this seriously, um, I think it's really judged on whether you lot respect sex work or not, um, and I don't think people do, um, to this day, I don't, I f- it's, it's getting there, you know what I mean, a lot of people, I think, are growing to the fact that, um, you know, these are people, and while they authorise you know, uh, and while they allow their bodies to be seen and to be, you know, whatever, whatever thing to happen to them, right, <laughs> on camera, that's different, but you guys are using their bodies for the shit, right, and that's just, that's just, I don't know, something about that, there's something about that, if that was yours, and obviously you, you your immediate, your immediate comeback to that is, well, I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my, put my body, you know, uh, I, w- I wouldn't have an amateur video of me getting smashed, right, you know what I mean, like, sure, mate, sure, 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 you, pro- you probably wouldn't, right, I wouldn't either, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the, 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 the self-confidence, <laughs> uh, first of all, to, to, to do that kind of thing, um, and, uh, yeah, you know, other parameters, uh, uh, of course, um, but, you know, some people do it, some people do it, and that's all well and good, that's all for them, and let's not act like we don't, we don't use it, I've never paid for porn, um, but, you know, there's a lot of people that do, people are paying for people's, uh, uh, people are going on people's OnlyFans for not, not even pornographic shit, but just for kinky shit. Like I don't know them dressing up as dogs and going woof. Like you know I mean, people are paying big bucks for that kind of shit. You you guys see that kind of stuff if you I don't know look up fucking mail online every day. Like, there's always that random shit. So you know, but I'm getting a bit si- a bit I get a bit sidetracked. You know, if you it, the the quicker that the public understands that sex work is you know a legit thing. And we respect it as such, and we respect it in the same, you know, legal, especially legal avenue. You don't have to see it as art, right, or that kind of thing, right? You don't have to see it as, you don't have to upgrade it in that, in, in a cultural fashion. But on a legal fashion, when it comes to, you know, artists, musicians, you have to respect them legally in the same way as artists. That's what I feel. Um, and we're clearly not at that point yet. And, uh, this deep fake shit is going to continue getting better. The technology is going to keep getting better, and uh, and people are going to continue to get exploited. Um, but even with like Miss Mort over there, um, you know, who basically got revenge porn. It, guys, it could easily be you. It really could easily be you. So grow that empathy right now. 
uh, before it's too late. And now we finish off last segment with music and this is all about a photographer, um, a hip hop photographer and basically his story and, uh, and it's just it's just an amazing read. I, I just had to, as soon as I saw it, I was just like, oh yes, perfection. Um, so this is by Hua Su, hope I said that right, uh, via The New Yorker, it's called The Photographer Who Captured the Birth of Hip Hop. Perfect title, perfect. Oh, lovely title. Uh, let's just jump right into it. And obviously, and, and guys, um, obviously there's photos here. Please, if please just go peep these photos because these photos are just absolutely wonderful to think about. Um, just from a historical standpoint, from a prosperity standpoint, um, it's just wonderful to look at. Um, so please go peep this yourself if you want to go peep, peep the photos as well. Anyway, let's jump right in. Joe Conzo Jr. grew up in a proud, politically engaged family of Puerto Rican uh, New Yorkers. His father, Joe Senior, was a historian historian of Latin music who was tight with the biggest scene, uh, the scene's biggest stars: Tito Puente, Johnny Pacheco, Ray Barreto. His grandmother was the activist Evelina Lopez Antonetti, uh, whose fierce work organizing on behalf of school children earned her reputation among locals as Hell Lady of the Bronx. In 1981, he uh, she spearheaded protests against the production of Fort Apache: The Bronx, a cop movie starring Paul Newman that many residents feared would portray their neighborhood in a poor light. Conzo, still in his teens, grabbed his camera and headed to the demonstrations too. Conzo first began taking pictures as a pretense. It was his way of communicating with people, moving between different South Bronx cliques, from local basketball stars to the pretty girls he may have been too intimidated to approach otherwise. With a camera around his neck, he became known as Joey Snaps, with a Z. Uh, in one of his early photos, a teenage Conzo shoots a selfie in a mirror, his bold afro and confident smile obscuring his inner shyness. He has a a Minotta. Um, oh, a very throwback camera, Damn. Uh, yeah, it's in Dark Room in 79. Very very nice photo. Very quality, high quality photo. Um, at the time, something new was taking root in the neighborhood. Young DJs were com- uh, combing old records for new rhythms. Others were rapping over these so-called break beats. Dancers were contorting their limbs in radical new ways. Black and brown kids were representing, but few were c- uh, but were f- but there were few camera crews or journalists around to record it. So, Conzo began documenting everything he saw. His photos from that time, which are collected in the volume Born in the Bronx. Oh, is that a book? Oh, cop, 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 cop. Open new tab. Copped as soon as I finish here. <laughs> Provide some of the most intimate glimpses we, ha- uh, we have of what would, what would become known as hip-hop. Uh, the book was originally published in 2007 by Rizzoli. A new edition edited by historian Johan Kugelberg was published in spring. Copped. Um, great photos again. Uh, member of Cold, Cru- Cold Crush. Uh, uh, fans at a Battle of Harlem World between Cold Crush Brothers and the Fantastic Five. Oh gosh, these are some lit photos. Absolutely amazing. Outstanding. Uh, Konzo captured hip hop as a modest homespun phenomenon. There's a picture of his high school friends in the Cold Crush. Uh, uh, friends, the Cold Crush Brothers. Uh, huge stars in their day huddled together on their way to a show. Cradling their precarious, uh, precious, sorry, uh, turntables on their laps. One member of the group, Charlie Chase, uh, turns from the crowd while DJing to smile and pose for Conzo. He looks incredulous that everyone is here to see them. 
you get a sense of how the resourcefulness of this time extended to fashion. The novelty bug-eyed glasses, the Davy Crockett hats, the studded leather jackets and Adidas warm-ups, the three-piece suits, none of it looking out of place. Everyone seems so excited to be where they are, where they get where they're gathered at a high school gym or a modest block party. More photos of Cole Crush, uh, Tony Tone, uh, the Treacherous Free, Cool D, uh, LA Sunshine, and Special K at a freaking high school. Love it, love it, love it. Hip hop was a thrilling new way of life, a philosophy of create of creative destruction. But in the early days, it wasn't exactly a way to make a steady living. By the mid-80s, pioneers such as African Bambata or the Cold Crush Brothers were being joined and sometimes usurped by younger acts. One of Konzo's later images is a shot of Run DMC on stage at the Roxy in 1982. Instead of his usual vantage inches away from the action, capturing tangled microphone cords and the... Uh, accidentally clicked on the picture. Uh, inches away from the action, capturing tangled microphone cords and sweat-soaked brows, he shoots Run DMC from afar, as if they're heroes keeping us at a distance. They're spotlit, and you can't make out the crowd. Uh, the photo is there for you guys to see. So I'm, I'm telling you, man, please beat this article. It's great. Uh, throughout the book, Konzo's photographs are interspersed with vintage party flyers and advertisements. Oh, I can't wait to get this book. Uh, I, I, honestly, depending on how much this book costs, um, um, this is an instant cop. Uh, are interspersed with vintage party flyers and advertisements, and also first-hand mem- uh, memories from people who were there. There are also pictures that convey the harsh environment out of which the music scene arose. An old car, presumably stripped of anything of value in an empty lot. A kid who appears to have fished, out, uh, fished a skateboard out from a flooded city street. But it wasn't uh, abandoned building ga- buildings, gangsters, uh, Konzo writes in an introductory essay. It was, fam- it was family back then. Uh, more pictures, more pictures. It's almost a fluke that his images survived. In the mid-80s, Konzo struggled with illicit drug use and sold off his cameras. Wow. Uh, His mother kept his negative safe. After he was arrested for shoplifting in 1991, he was ordered to go into treatment, where he overcame a substance use disorder. He trained as an emergency medical technician and began working for the fire department. A decade later, he was among the first responders at the World Trade Center in the morning of 9-11. Wow. He arrived just after the second plane hit and had to dig his way out of the rubble. Like many first responders, Konzo was diagnosed years later with cancer, which is now a remission. Oh, big ups. It's amazing, just the wrinkles in the story all of a sudden. Uh, This past winter, Konzo retired from the FDNY, ended up on the front page of the Daily News, and this time he was the story rather than the storyteller. He was one of dozens of tenants in the Bronx who had been issued eviction notices after a private equity company acquired the buildings that they lived in. Channeling the spirit of his grandmother, Konzo organised the other tenants and their landlord back down. And their new landlord back down. This is outstanding, Reed. Buoyed, buoyed by the rediscovery of his hip-hop work in the mid-2000s, Konzo uh, began taking pictures again. Now 58 years old, he was inducted into the Bronx Walk, Hall, uh, Walk of Fame in May, and two weeks later he was on hand for the groundbreaking of the Universal Hip-Hop Museum, of which he's a founding member. The museum preserves a history that might have been partially lost had he not uh, thought to photograph his friends back in high school. It's set to open in 2023 in the South Bronx, just a few blocks away from a playground that was recently christened after his grandmother, Evelina. This is outstanding. That's the 
that's the finish of the article um and it's got one more great picture of like a uh kind of like a silhouette with a light in the background of the notorious two uh, uh negril nightclub in 1982 this is outstanding uh, i absolutely this is one of my favorite reads um holy shit oh my god why is this book so much clicked on the link oh my gosh bro there's only one left in stock in amazon and it's 992 dollars fuck off are you um are you mad that can't be that can't be no it has to be a better price let me let me search this somewhere else that can't be that absolutely can't be the 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 price of the book oh my gosh Oh no, these are so much. Oh my gosh. Used 200 200 pounds. Oh my gosh, that's the best price. Oh wow, okay. Oh fuck. That's just depressed me so bad. But to be honest, to be honest, while that while that skid while that blew the fuck out of my mind, uh, the fact that, it was, that on Amazon it's nine hundred nine uh, nine hundred quid, uh, and the best price I can find is two hundred. Honestly, for two hundred, for some for a piece of ki- that kind of hip hop history, um, I'm not against it. I'm personally not against it. I can see why people why, why you guys would see that two hundred pound price tag and and for a used book, by the way, it might be in tatters. Who knows, right? I I I I'm not privy to that kind that 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 depth of hip hop history. You know what I mean? And to read not ju- and not just to see the photos because you know I I I've recently talked about the fact that I've recently bought a camera. Still waiting for that, by the way. Um, uh, uh, Jessup's. Um, by the way. Um, but you know, I I've recently been you know been thinking about you know prosperity and you know documenting life and of how fleeting all that stuff is right um but as it pertains to hip hop history that early early years of hip hop history are so little documented and you know I'm I'm going to say it and it's going to sound crude but people around that time are starting to die off and uh you know they're yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, some of them have memoirs, some of them have books, right? And uh, but there could be so much more. You know, I mean, th- there's always more stories to be uncovered, and I feel like this is a great place for me personally to start in my personal journey. I would love to just peep that book and just uh, you know absorb all of the all of the sights and try and understand like what was going on at that point. And you know, stuff like the Get Down is a great start you know in terms of uh historical accuracy um that really you know especially locationally did very well in uh in talking about uh, and i think in casting as well i think it did a very good job as well um in you know portraying what the bronx looked like in new york at that at that time at the birth of hip-hop but you know there's nothing like those kind of photos man there's nothing like it and uh you know a lot of people you know do photography and, uh, you know, do the fashion stuff and the commercial photography. Um, but I just want to document some shit, man. I want to document my life. I want to help document other people's lives, uh, moments in their lives, stuff like that. I really want to do that. And, uh, you know, do it from a concert perspective. Concerts I go to, I'd love to take photos there, like proper ones as well. 
just not just from my memory but for you know other people who want to see that kind of thing and look back at that shit in 50 years the dude is nearly 60 imagine seeing those photos now imagine him looking at those photos now going through that book the emotions that will come up from that it's unlike any i can imagine it can't be like any other feeling so um yeah i'll leave it that and with just the final message of just like you know guys document document uh you you may i'm I'm not even talking about you know take selfies of yourself every day um because i know a lot of people do that i'm talking about proper you know just proper document i'm not saying i'm not saying get a camera i'm not saying do what i did and go cop a fucking whole camera um but you know go do go go just you know just 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 help just help document you know for yourself and for others right and i feel like you know your pe especially especially for your own people you know what i mean it'll help in the long run it really would i that's how i feel um cuz i don't have much uh from as pertains to like uh solid um uh, photographical memories of my of my teenagehood teenage years especially um you know there's stuff on ig but apart from that it's barely anything so that's just me and hope you guys feel the same. But anyway, I'll leave it at that. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth Film Podcast Network, this, I've been Charlie Taylor. This has been what's good. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks to Jailbreakers for the bit to use the track. Thanks to Nappy Hire for the bit to use uh, Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. I hope you all have a good week. I should always try and do the same. 5 EPN Radio, chilling with Charlie and 92 Till dropping... Uh, today on drop day Thursday and also Friday for 92 till please go peep that uh, and all the other podcasts under the 5vpn I have linked in the full, the full show notes please go peep them at your leisure, leisure. and with that said take it easy ladies and gentlemen